Welcome everyone to the Philip Gilbert episode of Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. What can I tell you about Philippe? Well, he's one of the most decorated cyclists of the modern era, with 80 victories to his name. Now he's in his last season, running with Lotto Sudal, and he has some pretty interesting plans for his final ride before retirement. In fact, you could join him on the Cowberg. Keep listening to find out how. We chat about the differences between riders that turned pro 20 years ago and the ones turning pro nowadays, and he has some interesting observations there. He also has some very solid opinions on the optimal length of your socks and bib shorts in order to maximize the aesthetics of your muscles or muscle. We've got a first for this podcast because we play Philippe, your questions sent in via voice note, and he even answers them. Stay tuned to see if we chose your questions. And basically, if you did send them in, you did get them answered. There's a hometown quiz, of course, and Philippe even manages to invent his own game by slightly misinterpreting my question. But who am I to create an absolute legend? So, pop on your rainbow striped jersey if you're a former world champion, stick your feet up on your cobblestone trophy if you've won Paris-Roubaix, and enjoy the Philippe Gilbert episode. I realise I've just described Philippe Gilbert, but you can enjoy it anyway, even if you're not him. You know it's that time again Podcast. Philip Gilbert is in the autumn of a career that has too many highlights to mention, although I'm going to mention a couple. He's a former world champion and a stage winner at all three Grand Tours. Not bad for a classics rider who has also won four of the monuments. He's still really passionate about the sport and plans one final ride with his fans in October 2022. I was keen to learn more about that, his favourite victories, and of course, how many words he could spell using the letters of his hometown of Rémouchon whilst listening to a stressful 30-second countdown. Check it out. Philippe Gilbert, um, a legend of cycling. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on my po- on my podcast. Uh, how are you? Hi, Matt. Thank you. I'm really good. Thank you. And um, where, what we always like to do at the start of Matt Stevens Unplugged uh, with our guests is for them to set the scene. So could you describe the room that you're in and also where in the world you are as well, please, Phil? Uh, right now I'm in Monaco in my living room, so on my table with a computer, with the phone next to me. So I'm ready, ready for you. You're ready. I do believe you've got a drink of water as well yeah, there. Exactly. Um, no other snacks or anything like that as, as no. fuel. No. So there's no, no feed no. zone. There's no, no feed zone, no, no feed musettes. Zone. No, no, no. Just water. <laughs> okay, mate. Good stuff. Well, Philippe, it's, honestly, it's a pleasure uh, to have you on. Um, I'm a big admirer of yours um, over the years. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Um, it's going to be difficult to know where to start, but I think the way we will start this is looking back over 20 years, we're coming towards the the end of your last season as a pro. How how are you feeling right right now? And not, hopefully not too nervous being on the pod. You sound very relaxed, but how, how are you in yourself knowing that there's only a few months' time when you'll yeah. be finally hanging up your wheels? few races left and yeah. Uh, yeah I'm feeling good about it because it, this is my own decision and uh, this is this was always uh, important in my mind you know to choose the moment uh, I will quit uh, pro cycling because um, yeah during, during my career I met too many people um, that had to stop 
um, really hoped to keep going, but had no choice and had to stop. And then they sound like not happy or frustrated. And uh, for myself, it's my own decision. So I'm really happy uh, that I was able to make it. And uh, I'm really looking forward now for the next chapter. Yeah, you, you sound really quite relaxed and, and, and quite happy. And, and it's a really important point, isn't it? Making decisions on your own terms isn't something that everybody can do. Um, in, no. in however, however high up in whatever um, profession you're in, sometimes those decisions are taken away. But to maintain control is is massively important. And and Phil, just going back, I mean, at what point then? Because you know you're 40 years of age. Aside from Alejandro Valverde, you're the one of the oldest riders in the peloton, most respected riders in the peloton. Um, what point was it that you? decided to say, okay, 2022 is going to be my final season. And, and, and when, when did you know in your head 100% that was going to be the, the right thing to do? Um, you know, when I, I had to resign a, a new contract, so it was with uh, Lotto Sudal, um, I was looking for a three years deal. And, uh, in, you know, they, they refer us going for two years. And then after they, they offered me three years and I was thinking, yeah, this is, uh, this is my last contract because... It will be 20 years. It's a nice number. It's a lot of uh, sacrifice, a lot of kilometers on the bike, and um, it will be a good time to stop. So I was happy to get this this contract signed. And uh, yeah, obviously now with uh, all the difficulties we had with the COVID and so, it was really quick. Um, so actually, it, it's passed, uh, it passed so fast that... Uh, yeah, we are already at the end of this contract and uh, it's time to stop. So, But I'm really happy to stop. I mean, and your, your role in the team for the last three years, as you say, I, I remember in the press, you agreeing to, to move from uh, Quickstep or to Koenig Quickstep over to Lotto, a place where you'd spent um, already um, some happy years in your career. Um, what, what's, it, what's it like being the, the most senior rider in the team and and riding on the same in the same races as guys like Arnaud Delis, who is an, a sensation, but he he is half your age; he's twenty twenty one yeah. years of age. Uh, uh, let's let's be really honest, Phil. You're old enough to be his dad. You know this yeah, is this yeah. is the reality uh, exactly. of our sport. You can yes. ride for a long time. How's that been? That that side of it, you know, being somebody that riders look up to. Have you enjoyed that slightly different role being in a team, somebody that inspires the younger riders? Yeah, I was happy to sign in this team because, you know, it was not the highest level and uh, I was really trying to get it, you know, on the right way to work better and more professional. And uh, yeah, it was not always easy, but I think uh, I could give some tips to become a little bit better. It's still a lot of work to do, but um, I'm happy of what I did. And uh, yeah, for me, this is something I like to work uh, as professional as possible. And, uh, yeah, I was trying to get, you know, the right mentality, uh, right things in place. And, uh, yeah, I was investing a lot of my energy for that also to make, uh, things change, you know. And, and how, how did the team management deal with that? Cause obviously that you're, you're a, because the management of the team is different to when you were with Lotto as well. They've, they've undergone a few changes, haven't they? So was it, um, the same sort of team or did it have a really different feel to it? Although it was essentially the same setup. Uh, it's uh, it's a different company actually. So the team I was in like uh, stopped completely, and then they rebuilt okay. a new team uh, after that. And uh, so this is uh, this is the team of today. And uh, yeah, I mean the 
like you said, like we said before, it's always possible to change more and uh, and, and do better. But uh, it's already good what they did. Yeah, and and what about coming into this season in twenty twenty two, knowing it was your last one? Did you approach it like any other season in the past, or did you approach it in a different way? Um, what was your mindset and also your training coming into the, the final season? What were your objectives um, and how, did it feel different for you, your last winter, you know? Yeah, no, no, I did um, I did everything yeah, as best as possible and I, I gave everything, but also not too much because um, I had the experience, you know, to, to be next to Tom Bonin when he did his last winter. And okay. uh, I remember because Tom knew that he was stopping in Paris-Roubaix, he was giving everything because, you know, he said, yeah, I have uh, nothing to to keep, you know, I don't need reserve for the rest of the season, you know, so I give it everything. And actually, I think he did too much. And okay. uh, so I didn't want to do the same mistake. So I just did like what worked for me and uh, tried to do, trying to do perfect. But then, uh, yeah, my, my, the numbers on the watts and so were, were really good on training camp. And then I got sick and then, uh, yeah, I had a really hard time in the first two months, three months of the season. I was struggling with, uh, yeah, breathing problems. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, pretty bad because I knew it was the last chance to do well in San Remo and uh, in other classics. And then it was like, uh, yeah. It was gone with uh, with this uh, sickness, you know. That's oh. a shame. Yeah, I, I know your your strive for five was something that you'd been going for um, since you obviously won your last monument, uh, Paris Roubaix, in 2019. Uh, and it's a shame. But 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 when you do look back, um, you know, 80 wins. There's a nice symmetry, isn't there? 20 years in the pro peloton, 80 wins, countless mm-hmm. wins, you know, uh, in in monuments. But after Roubaix and Liège. Clearly, you got back into form because okay, you know it's um, you you won the the Cat Jours de Dunkirk. You know you, you won a stage and won the overall. I, I, I would imagine that that victory was must have been particularly sweet for you to, to know that you can still operate at the top level. And it was only illness that was holding you back because I know that I remember seeing it and thinking, "Wow, Phil, Phil still got it." I mean, how, how did that make you feel um, inside? Yeah. Yeah, I never gave up. You know, I was uh, really a, lot, a long time sick. I never had this in my career, like so long. And uh, I was getting better. And then it was uh, another sickness coming and uh, I was never quit, you know. So, I, but I was trying to get better, trying to start training again. So I, I restart training many times and then it was... Uh, sometimes hard mentally because uh, also in the racing, it was not going like I wanted. So yeah, it was like uh, frustrated, but uh, you know, I s- tried to finish still all my races and this gave me like uh, still a lot of, of, of training and fitness. Yeah. And uh, the fact that I finished all the big classics, like even if I was not in front, I was like around position 50. So it yeah. means that you still go quite fast, even in the final. And this gave me like, uh, you know, the power to become better and stronger. And uh, that's why I was good then in Dunkirk, because um, the week before Dunkirk, the, the climate changed and uh, because it was a really cold uh, first part of the year. Um, right. Really, really cold everywhere. Even here in Monaco, the, the air was really fresh and cold. 
and dry. And then the week before Dunkirk, the, the wind changed, the, the climate changed, and it was warmer. For the first time, we reached the 25 degrees. And uh, for my breathing problems, it was uh, the end. I think I was just needed some uh, warm temperature. Yeah. And, uh, and then I was, uh, I was much better and uh, I was able to breathe again. And uh, yeah, the form came back really quick. And, and what was it like for, for you winning? I mean, obviously, when you look back at your results, the, the four days of Dunkirk is, is not the biggest race, but it's a really nice race, race to have won. I mean, uh, do you think that is uh, one of your most important victories? Because, it, you know, unless you've only got a few more races left, you, you still could win some bike races, but I guess it must be quite a significant win in, your, in all of your career. Yeah, it was nice because uh, also the first day, you know, we had uh, Arnaud Deli there and uh, he was he was going to go for the win in, in the sprint. And I was pulling, you know, because I said, ah, guys, I just need to ride. I need some effort. So let me pull uh, in front of the race and this, this will uh, open uh, my engine for the next days. And uh, so I was pulling like 150 Ks and, uh, and I was feeling better at the end of the, of the stage. You know, I was feeling, feeling strong. And this gave me also confidence for the, for the next days. And then, uh, yeah, then, you know, the, the crash happened with uh, the Lee. He had to quit the race. And then I was, it was clear that I had uh, also a chance, you know. And the next day was a, a nice sprint uphill, like I like. And, uh, yes. and, and I won the stage. So it was uh, really nice. And I think it was uh, Nice that uh, I could also show to the team that uh, now that uh, Deli was not there anymore, I could uh, replace him. So it was a good sign. That's, that's cool. I mean, just looking back over the last couple of years in particular, um, all of the pros that I've had on my podcast recently, I think it, it's, it interests me how cycling, obviously over 20 years since you've been riding, cycling, professional cycling has changed enormously. Yeah. But in the last couple of years since COVID, since we started the season late in 2020 for me as a fan as a commentator being at the races and, and watching the races unfurl uh, th there seems to have been this enormous shift and change in the way races are far more aggressive far more unpredictable uh, far more chaotic what has been your view as as one of the the most mature riders in the peloton and seeing this this change in racing the landscape these young guys coming in uh, you know creating chaos also entertaining yeah. us but what yeah. has it been your perspective, Phil? Because it's been, let's be honest, it's been pretty crazy, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big, big difference. I mean, I, for me, my explanation is that, you know, when, when I was turning pro, it was like one to two, you know, neo pro turning pro every year by team. Yeah. So let's say it was like between 20 and 40 new riders every year. And then, you know, we had to race with... Uh, the old guys, experienced guys. And then when, when you came in, you know, like it's normal, you're nervous, you, everything is new. You want to make your place in, into this new world. You want to show that, you know, that you turn pro is not for nothing. You want to make results. You want to be in, 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 in front of the camera, you know, you want to be everywhere. So when you're like this, you know, it's up to the old guys to calm you like in, in normal life, you know, yeah. and Back then, you know, when you did that, you did some shit, you know, like they will smash you or, or, or get you off the road. And then the, yeah, next, yeah, day, yeah. <laughs> the next day you say, okay, I, I better stay calm. But today it's like you have 60 or even more new, new pro 
turning pro, you know, and as an old guy or older guy with the experience, if you want to do what they did in the past, then it means that you will have to spend all your time doing this, you know, because it's too many of these young guys, you know, to yeah. teach them how to act in the peloton, you know, not throwing bottles everywhere, not going from left to right without, without uh, giving a sign. Sure. Uh, not breaking like an idiot in the middle of the bunch, you know, not riding with one hand in the underbar, like uh, so many things to do right that they don't do right anymore. Uh, but yeah, if you want to make the police inside the bunch, then it's like, yeah, you're also lost, you know, because you, you have to focus on your own effort also, you know. So exactly. yeah, now no one say much and, and it's chaos because it's uh, anarchic, you know. Yeah, it's a really good way of putting it. I mean, I think from a spectator's point of view, it's quite entertaining. But from somebody who has been in the peloton a while, um, this isn't just something that's happened gradually. It seems to have accelerated over the last yeah. couple of years. So it's a really interesting point. You yeah. know, like in the past, for example, you know, when it was an obstacle on the road, like a, a hole or um, a pole, we will point it and, and say sure. to the guy behind you, watch out, watch out, there's something dangerous coming. Now the guys, they just ride like, two centimeters away and then move on the last moment. So you're like right, right t touching the, the, the danger and then uh, you can crash because of that, you know? So a lot of times they don't point the dangers and then, 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 you know, big crash happened, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's, as, as I say, it's, it's certainly good from a spectator's point of view or entertaining, but it must be, it must be exceptionally chaotic, but, and this is just might seem like a strange question, but you look at your 20, 20 years in the Peloton, the, the changes in, in racing technology. I've always, I'm, I'm a, a little bit older than you, but I've, I've noticed you used to have really, really good length of socks, Phil. And, and yeah. what are your, what is your view? <laughs> okay. I come out with a serious question sometimes. What is your view on this super long socks? Cause I don't, you're, you seem to be a man that's holding on to the past a little bit, still yeah. accepting that socks are longer. What are your thoughts on the ridiculous length of socks in the, in the, in the <laughs> nowadays? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love, I love short socks. Yeah. I love them, but I cannot find them anymore because they don't produce them. Uh, I have the medium ones, but uh, like so many riders just ride with the really high ones. And uh, yeah, it's, the problem is like these guys, they, they really believe that error is everything. I know it's, it's a, it means a lot, but of course, um, I don't think that this makes you going so much faster, you know, um, knowing that uh, maybe 80% of the time you're just uh, sitting in the wheels. So Aero is not doing much at this time. Um, so I can understand for a TT you're, when yeah. you're by yourself and it's short and it's like every second counts. But on a, on a road race, I don't think that this could make the difference. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's a shame when you have nice muscles, nice legs, to <laughs> don't show them to the people, you know? No, no, exactly. Because let's be honest, um, pro cycling is a very has a beautiful aesthetic that the fashion, yeah. the bikes, the exactly. suntan, the, yeah. the musculature of, of the riders. And, and back in the, when you look at some of your early wins, I mean, um, and also the length of, while we're sticking on, on fabric and on the fashion side, the shorts are getting so long. So, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, but now I've got no suntan, Phil. I've got like all, the only thing of a suntan is my knee yeah. and, and half of my calf. <laughs> and when I, when I wear normal shorts, I'm like, I look like an idiot. 
So, <laughs> I understand. I understand. Yeah, crazy, crazy short yeah. legs. Okay, we're so anyway, but yeah, I do like the pictures. So back in two thousand two, two thousand and eight, that sort of era. Yeah, where I think it like you got like you Tom Bonin. Yeah, the short short length was permanent. Rem- so you can see remember, not, yeah. ankles and thighs. You know exactly. I remember watching all the magazines with the pictures, and uh, I were I was watching all the pictures of these guys. You know, with you could see the muscles, and it was so nice and. Uh, I will spend more time watching the, the muscle of the guys and uh, the text, you know. So, yeah, I think it makes, it was part of the history uh, and yep. the aesthetic of the sport, yeah. Oh, totally, totally. Now, over the last few years, what, what, ele- what element of the sport have you had to work the hardest on? I mean, uh, to, to keep yourself in, in the frame? Is it, have you, as you're chaining, I, I, I'd imagine, that your training has changed immensely over the last few years, that the access we have to, to information, all of the data, how, how has your training shifted? And, and have you found any of the new innovations particularly helpful to keep you as strong and, and at the forefront? Yeah, I, I start really working more specific when I turned to uh, BMC 2012. Um, then I start using the parameters and, uh, yeah, it really helps you because you control your training really precisely and it's much easier, but at the same time, sometimes mentally it's, it's hard, you know, to always follow a schedule, you know, because it's not like some other sport when you are in the stadium, uh, with your trainer next to you, with your, your teammates or, or the training partners, cycling is like you know, we, we just leave where we live and we go training around the house. So it's like you have to need, you need a big discipline to follow all this, uh, these trainings. And, uh, sure. sometimes it takes a lot mentally, you know, because you have, a yeah, uh, an hour 45 or two hours of, uh, really specific, uh, trainings, you know, high intensity and things like that, you know, and, uh, when it's like hard, Heavy sessions, you know, it takes a lot mentally. Sure. And um, have you, um, I mean, just just in relation to to all the new technology now, I was chatting to um, another pro a couple of a couple of days ago. Do you think we're at the point where there's almost too much information for a, a rider to 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 sort through and process, and that sometimes that the craft, the race craft, is left behind, or is that just? An, an illusion what do you think do you think um, all this information is good do you think there's too much what, what are your thoughts yeah. on it now because we are really on the cutting edge aren't we i mean riders are going faster for longer yeah. some of the some of the some of the watts per kilo that we're seeing some of these mm-hmm. younger guys put out is is insane um yeah. so but and then but we but there's so much information around what what do you think of of, of that uh, I think it's like uh, it's innovation. It's like every sport, every sport is becoming more pro, and cycling is also following the yeah the the things you know. So um, it's it's also becoming more serious, more precise, and this is part of development. But yeah, how can you not use this? You know, when you sure. when, when you know it exists, it's also yeah like uh, financial incomes you know like because some of the uh, i don't know like garmin's or srm there are big sponsors for some teams so it's it's important to have them there so it's hard to say now we don't use this anymore you know so i don't know how we could not use them 
because it's like some people, some riders, they, they start riding in the juniors already with power meters, you know? So yeah, if you'd say to them now, you go racing without, yeah, first you have to put in place a system to control that no one use it. So I think it's quite impossible to make happen. And uh, yeah, and then secondly, the the guys would be lost. But they, then yeah. you will come back like in the past, you know, when you go on feeling, and then you, you you when you go on feeling, sometimes you go wrong and you explode like we saw, and it was also nice, you know. But now it's it's clear that it's like you know on the climb, you know, if you did a test, a twenty minute test the week before, you know exactly when we are where we are. And then, you know, I don't know, for this climb, okay, I can go 420 watts for 30 minutes. So I got this pace and on top, I will be maximum 30 seconds behind the first one. So I come back in descent. So it's everything is more calculated, you know? Sure. sure. So that's why we don't see so much riders cracking anymore because, you know, they, they just follow their own uh, engine and own, yeah. own capacities. Yeah. And in the past, you know, we were just going like, trying to to follow the best even if it was not possible but we tried and then we explored and then <laughs> you know <laughs> that's right i mean you yeah. are so right when, when you look at the obviously the, the, this year's tour de france as an example there was some really exciting attacking but a lot of w when you hear the riders talk it's just yeah i just i rode to my pace i did my yeah. own thing and you hear this more and more but um yeah um but you and have to know yeah. And they know exactly they, they, they're going to finish fifth or sixth or seventh in the tour. They know they cannot do more and they, they know they cannot do less, you know. So actually now when, when you know that you're not going to crash and you're not going to be sick, you know exactly where you're going to finish in the tour. Yeah, I, it's very, very interesting. I was, I was chatting yeah. to, to Jay Vine, the, the young Australian lad from uh, Alperson yeah. de Koenig who won two stages. I was speaking to him the other day and he, I said – are you amazed at your win? He said, well, I'm really pleased and a little bit surprised, but he said, once I knew that I had a certain amount, I knew I could sustain this power to the end. Yeah. And I knew that if I had a certain gap at halfway, even Remco had to go far over his capacity just to close the gap. So it's, exactly. it's, it's reduced to, it's still exciting, but it's reduced to mathematics and science, yeah. isn't it? You know, exactly. it's, it's yeah. very interesting, but the confidence in those numbers is, means that if you, like I say, as, as long as you've got good shape, you, you've fed, you fed well, you're not yeah. injured, on, on a normal day, you can ride to this capacity. It gives you uh, a certain confidence, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I also won a stage in the Giro in, in 15 like that. It was also a 10K climb. Normally, I will not, you know, play the win on this, this stage, but because of the, or thanks to, depends how you see, thanks to the power meter, I, I made it, you know, because sure. I, I went on my own pace and on top I was like, uh, I don't know, 30 seconds behind. And then on last K, I, I said, now I go over my limit. I pass them, I attack and I went alone, you know? Sure. So, yeah, this is much easier. Yeah. yeah. So with that in mind, because I, I find it, I think it's fascinating, you know, that the way we have to, and I was chatting to a few of the director sportifs at the Tour de France and with exactly what you said in mind, with everybody all the domestiques, everybody knows their capacity. Even the sprinters know their capacity to finish in the time limit. Yeah. They know what they have to do. It's the same. And, and I was chatting to Mark Cavendish, and he said, I have to ride at 320 watts over every climb. They know I'll fit in, finish inside the time limit. It's like this is the sort of everybody knows their, their limitations. So within that, 
how do you win bike races? I think, it, or, or beat your rivals, it, be, it becomes more, um, I, I think what it provides is an opportunity to be really creative and innovative with tactics. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, like, like Jumbo Visma in the tour, isolating Roglic. Um, and then it was just brilliant to see. I know you, you were racing it. You well, probably yeah, didn't yeah. see it. You were in the bunch. But do you know what I mean? I think, yeah. I think the tactical brain now becomes even more important, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and then also you see that, uh, yeah, it's, it, you come back to the money, you know, because it's like uh, only the biggest team who can pay the best riders can win, you know. So, um, yeah, you need so much good riders in the final to make the difference that, uh, yeah, you come back to the money, you know. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's also not easy for the smaller teams, you know, to compete on the highest level because, you know, when you're a smaller team, you're like one or two guys surviving in the final. And then it's hard to, get, to beat like the five jumbo guys, the five quick step guys. Um, the three or four Arpacin, you know, so yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy to compete. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you have to, you have to think even smarter. And I think one of the things, I mean, not that I would ever compare my career with yours, Phil, but when I did race and when I was strong as a youngster, and now I look back, I'm 52 and I look back at what I could have done if I, if I was smart and now watching a lot of bike races, I'm learning more and more about the sport, even if f through just commentating. And I find it fascinating. So I guess, I mean, you've always been a very smart rider. You know what engine you've got. You know the terrain that suits you. Even your rivals know. People say, don't they? They go to a bike race and we, we stay even now. Oh, this is a this is a Philippe Gilbert finish. It's just yeah. a thing that people say, you yeah. know, which, which, which I love. I mean, that, that must be a very cool thing. But um, um yeah, it's just I forgot what my, my point was now, but but no, it, it's just um, yeah, the, the whole the, the whole tactical side of it, I, I find I find enormously in, enormously fascinating. I, I really really do. Now now Phil, we we've already been chatting for half an hour, and I think I think we should before we look back at your career, I think we need to look a little bit forwards. Okay, yeah, uh, to a couple of things that are happening. And uh, now your last ride. Uh, is a for want of a better word is a it's a celebration isn't it um on the yeah. cowberg so do you want to explain to me and to people what it is and how they can get involved and also at the end of that we're gonna just talk a little bit about a competition we can have to yeah. win some tickets to it so so what is phil's last ride it sounds a little bit ominous doesn't it <laughs> but yeah. it only, you know, no, but explain I, what it is yeah i wanted to you know, to decide the end of my career like i said before so that was uh, the first point and then i was thinking uh, and speaking to my managers, I said, look, guys, um, if all this happened is, is because of uh, the collaboration of so many people and I will not quit cycling without, you know, building an event uh, like to thank everyone and see the last time everyone as a pro cyclist, you know, because, you know, I work with uh, with uh, the guys of Francis Desjules many years ago with the other lot of team many years ago with the BMC and then, you know, you, you don't, you see them quickly every time on the race, but you never really speak to them anymore. Sure. And this is a way of having everyone next to me, you know, the people I love and the people I work to, and I'm thankful to them. So that's why we, we do this. Um, first also in the morning, it, it will be like a ride open to everyone. So all the fans are welcome for a 70, 75 kilometer ride on the Amster course which I won four times. So this was also important for me. 
And then we have, uh, yeah, we launched my book. Um, then we, I would be uh, really, really close to the people to sign all kind of things. And then, you know, in the evening, it's more a private, you know, um, dinner with uh, all the people I work with. And there will be, uh, I think, an emotional moment because uh, we will remember all the nice wins, or defeat, everything, you know, like all we achieved together. And uh, I will have all the managers I work with, uh, with me that day. So that was also an important point. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to have my own event, you know. And it's nice that people can come along and, and share yeah. as well. And, and what a... What a great course to have it on, and not only your the Kalberg, not only the yeah, the and then also we have we have the criterium with the ex teammates, you know, uh, so it will be an hour race uh, with a few times the the Kalberg. so yeah, it will yeah, be I, nice. We'll be I know nice. that uh, I know Tor and Alessandro Balan, two teammates of yours, are, are going to be riding, and I've seen Alessandro Balan in particular at the Giro every year. He still looks really fit, so be careful. Because I think yeah. Milan could go, could could spring a surprise. <laughs> yeah, he's not explosive enough for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, and, and that is on the 15th of October, yeah? Yeah, in Wackenburg, so Netherlands. Fantastic. And and what we're going to, to do, um, so when this podcast goes out, well, you'll be listening to it now, um, if you check out Phil's social media on, on Instagram and my social media, we're going to put, there's going to be a competition where the prizes are four tickets to yeah. to go to the Sportif, uh, to, 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 last, to Phil's last ride. So make sure you uh, not only listen to this pod, which you'll be doing anyway, but check out at Real Stevens. And um, Philippe, what's your uh, your Instagram? Um, I think it's just Philippe Gilbert Official. There we go, Philippe Gilbert Official. So we'll actually, we'll put that in the, in the description as well. And also, so you touched on there a book. So what's the to- what's obviously the books looking back at your career phil yeah, what, what's it, what's it called it's uh, a book with with uh, a lot of pictures uh 180 oh right okay um, well, mainly about the the wins i had you know so yeah we tried to find all the pictures you know some of the my wins were like not even in the in the media back then or not much so we found uh, the nice pictures and they will be edited uh for the first time so yeah, and then uh, of course a lot of text ex- explaining how I won, uh, why I was there, why I was informed there, why I was not informed, you know, like explaining a little bit uh, my career. And uh, it's really, I think, a nice book because I spent a lot of time on it. So yeah, I'm really happy to also close uh, my career with a uh, with a nice uh, nice book with memories. Fantastic. I, w- I would imagine for you um, going back through those pictures. And recalling all of the memories because the, the races that you've won, I mean, it's it's only Jan Ras who's exceeded the single day wins and the, and the quality of your single day wins. There's riders that have won more races, but the quality of your wins is incredible. Um, so I, I guess looking back and recounting them and getting them committed to text and writing them down must have been quite powerful in recalling because I'd imagine, Phil, that you've got a pretty good memory. Do you remember a lot of detail yeah. about your races? Yeah, I remember actually a lot uh, of details about uh, all my career, not only the wins, you know, but also like the travels, the training sure. camps, everything. I have a really good memories of it. And uh, it was nice to put this uh, on the text, you know, and then it's also nice for, for later for the other generations. So I think it's important that uh, to use your, your mind when it's still clear. So 
yeah, it will be a, a nice tool for later for the for the young kids or for the future generation. So yeah, I'm happy, really happy that uh, I did this now. Um, and I, there's a, a website for your Phil's ride. So I'll just I'm just I've got the website up now. So if anybody wants to head there and register, it is www philslastride.com simple as that mate isn't it so um philslastride.com head on there um and there's some information um about how to event it's pretty straightforward as well um so yeah head over there and um, i'm sure phil would love to see you and um celebrate in in his retirement now phil we're about halfway through um the um the podcast now it's at this point that we're going to have a little bit of a quiz. Um, I know you're prepared. I did give you a little bit of a warning um, <laughs> because the quiz Let's is this. Go. It's the Remouchon quiz. Okay. <laughs> yo, yo. What's up? You all ready? Uh, uh, Let's do it. Uh, uh, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Remouchamps quiz. Or is it Remo Shum quiz? <laughs> <laughs> so, big shout out to Niall, yes. our producer, who who loves doing all these jingles. Uh, the pronunciation, I guess, for it is Remouchon. Remouchon, exactly. Uh, okay, which is a little province in uh, in Wallonia. We, you, of course, are Walloon, um, yeah. and it's just in uh, our years. The so Remouchon is a little, tiny little village, isn't it? And then you yeah. our years that is the kind of more of the 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 bigger town i guess uh, yes. next door is it yeah, okay. yeah yeah so i'm going to be honest with you phil i've done a lot of research here but it's really hard to, because it's only a, a small part of Wallonia. it's been difficult to find some questions but i have okay, okay. so it's a multiple choice quiz so you have um four choices for each each answer um okay. the final question you'll need your pen and paper which i know you've got got yeah. beside you so are you comfortable are you ready yeah i'm ready let's do this okay Right, question number one, Phil. What is the name of the underground river in the caves of Remouchon? Rubicon. Okay. Oh, it is. It's, yeah, it, it, yeah it, it, blimey. It, it is. Yeah. It, it is. Uh, I was going to say it's the Remouchon's River, the Cathedral Noir, which I made up, or the Terminus. <laughs> it's the Rubicon. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you an extra bonus for not even needing the multiple choice. So that's two points. Um, that's a, you're off to a flying start. The analogy for a bike race, Phil, you're in the early break. You're up the road. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. So good start from Philippe Joubert. Clearly in good form. Um, This one might be a bit more troublesome, but you you don't know. Right. Question two. The crest or the coat of arms of uh, Awaii. Do you know what I mean? The the coat of arms, the, the shield yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah. each town and city has a little kind of coat of arms on the town hall, that sort of stuff. So OAE has its own one, okay? And I'm going to describe four different descriptions of what's on the crest. You have to give me the correct one. So, okay, the crest on the coat of arms contains either, is it A, it's a saint with a shield and two lions wearing crowns. That's That's A. Is it a lion with a crown and a shield with two saints? Or is it C, a river with a bridge and a shield with two lions? Or finally D, a river with a bridge and a shield with two saints? So, um, yeah, you, I don't know if, if you know it. Or I, don't you know. I, I would say D. 
You're going to get a river with a bridge and a shield with two saints. Yeah. It's the incorrect answer. I made that one up. It is. For mm. next time you, you need to tell anybody, um, maybe put it in your next book after this, yeah. uh, when, you, when you talk about this podcast. It's a saint with a shield and two lions wearing crowns. Okay. Very, very no particular. Right. So this next question, but you've, done, you, you've still got 50% full because you've got two points for the first question. So you're still in a good place. Okay. Don't worry. Question three. The caves of Remouchon, we're going back to the caves again, mm-hmm. were previously used to store what? And it's before World War II, and in World War II, the, the caves were used as an air raid shelter. But before World War II, what were the caves of Remouchon used for? Was it A, storing cheese, B, storing wine, C, storing cured meat, dried meats, or D, for storing p- jars of pickled vegetables? Oh. Yeah. So uh, was it cheese? What it again? Uh, cheese? Yeah, no, I will say no. Wine? <laughs> cured mm. meat or pickled vegetables in jars? Uh, I would say D. It's not D, it's wine. No. It was a. It was an wine. enormous wine cellar, yeah. Oh. It was, yeah, an no. enormous wine cellar. Oh, I didn't know that. <sighs> so, yep. Okay, right. Okay, right. Question number four, you can redeem yourself. You've still got a reasonably good score. Um, did a quiz the other day with a, a gentleman who shall remain nameless, rides for Bahrain Victorious. He got zero. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so you're still in a good place. But the final question is you'll need your pen and paper here. Okay, yeah. Phil. Now, um, the rules of this one is, so, Remouchon, if you write down the word Remouchon, okay, I need you in 30 seconds to find as many words as you can in French or in English okay now my wife who's very good at words found 11 English words in 30 seconds <laughs> okay with, with the letters of Remouchon yeah exactly so Remouchon just find as many words English words as you can or French words so because obviously you you, you speak obviously speak both but starting with the with the letters oh. yeah just so any so any so you could have for example uh, Rome R-O-M-E. So any of the letters, but you can only use them however many times they appear in the word. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, we're going to have a countdown. So tell me when you're ready. Okay. And, uh, and you'll get a point for every one that you get correct. So I, be- I do believe Niall has a clock. So uh, I'm going to count down. So three, two, one, go. Okay. Okay. That's a very good clock. This is Philip Gilbert, world champion, winner of all four monuments. This is the biggest test of his life so far. It is how many words can he get from Remouchon? We're coming towards the end now. I don't know how many he's written down. Very much, very near the end now. Two, one, and go. <laughs> That was a great countdown. That was really dramatic. <laughs> okay, Phil. Um, this is just a bit of fun. How many have you got, mate? I have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, six. Okay, what are the words? So uh, with the R, I, I put a uh, river. Re- okay, yeah. River. E, I put a uh, emotion. Okay. M, uh, monument. I was okay. thinking also to think about cycling, you know. Uh, the C of cycling. Okay. Uh, A of ambience. 
and a P of uh, price. Okay, well, that, I think we're going to give you uh, we're going to give you the six points there. That's very well done, mate. Very well done. Um, so, can we have a round of applause from our studio audience? <laughs> I, th- I think you you may have also inadvertently created another game out of two games. I think you've done it exceptionally well there, mate. So, let's tot up the points. So you've actually got eight points. So two at the start and six at the end. That's eight points, which is an exceptionally high score. Well done, Phil. Thank you. Uh, hold on. Okay. Actually, that works out as a 200% score in that quiz. So that's, that's really good. Um, now, at this point, in, uh, we're going to take a very, very short break in the podcast, very, very short, because we've got a new section that we talked about. So we're going to take a short break and tee that up now. Well, we've got a brand new section of the podcast. So um, again, we're using Philippe Gilbert as an experimental guinea pig, really, mate. Um, Apologies for that, but hopefully this will be a a bit of fun. Um, Basically, we've opened up our phone lines or our phone line at Sigma Sports um, for voice notes um, for people to get in contact and ask questions. So we've got a few questions that we're going to play. So let's listen to them now. Do you believe that Lotto Sedol's situation in regards to the relegation system has negatively impacted your ability to choose the way you wanted your last season to go? I believe oh. that was from Benji Nelson, that yeah. one. So that's quite an interesting question. Yeah, interesting. So what, what do you think? Um, yeah, of course, I, would ha- I was uh, pushing to race more, you know, because of the chase of the points. So, yeah, I had to race more than uh, I expected, yeah. And and do you think just off the back of that? Do you think, and it's a controversial subject, but I think uh, you know you're a, a vocal rider with all the experience that you've had. For, do you think the the relegation system is a is a fair one? Yeah, because it's no. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a lot of pressure, uh, but uh, it's a good way to give the chance of uh, the smaller team to to become yeah on the highest level, you know. But yeah, this team so also need then the financial support and uh, yeah, the professional uh, abilities to be on the world tour. So yeah, you can have a lot of discussion about it. Yeah. Okay. So let's have the next question. Hi, Dan here. Um, just wanted to ask uh, Philippe, um, now his career is winding down as a pro bike rider. Um, what does he want to be remembered for? Um, and if there was one bike race um, he'd be remembered for, which one would that be? Thank you. That, that was from Dan, a very um, a very nervous Dan there. Thank you yeah. for getting in contact, Dan. So what do you think of that, Phil? Uh, I, would be, I would like to be remembered as a you know, classic rider, like the one-day races, um, someone who always attack, uh, you know, not scared of, a, of, of going to the attack, make the, the, the race... Uh, interesting so yeah i think that uh, i give a lot of spectacle to the to the fans in the in the last years i think you well i think there's the one thing's for certain that you you've left you have left a mark not just because of the victories but the manner of your victories as well the style the panache yes, yeah. um, that you had you know and i think that's um victories are one thing but the manner of victories are very special and i think within the cycling community i think it's fair to say that the true fans you know, they look at victories, of course, but it's the manner of the victories that's massively important, isn't it, as well? Yeah. 
I think it's uh, for me. It was really important to win in a, in a certain way. You know. Um, yeah. I won some burn sprints, uh, not many, but yeah, for me these wins don't don't look so nice for me, um, because yeah, the burn sprints is not don't mean so much in my eyes. But uh, when you go for a fifty k solo in, in in Flanders, this is like something that uh, I'm really proud about it. You know. This this is where the romance of the sport comes in as well, yeah. isn't it? I, I I love it. I love it. I totally. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's a, a wonderful answer, and I think we have time for another one more question. Hi Matt, um, Phil, Phil Jill, <laughs> five star Phil. Uh, it's Gary Skinner um, from Hertfordshire. I just wondered um, what it's like to ride. I imagine painful um, on a broken knee. How did you do it? Thank you. <laughs> Oh, thank you very much. That's a good, good yeah. question. I mean, we all remember that from a few years ago. So yes, yes. So how how did you do that? Oh, I think I um, I didn't know first that I had uh, such a bad uh, injury. Um, so I just keep riding that day, and uh, yeah, I was like so motivated, and I was still believing that I could restart the next day because I was thinking it was only muscle sore, you know, not. I didn't. I really didn't expect that there was a bone broken, you know. Sure. So um, I keep riding, and I was hoping, you know, yeah, I will have uh, two, three hard days in the next days, and then I will come back. The tour is still long, and uh, I will still fight for a win, you know, because be, before the end of the tour, and then you know when I had to pass the medical uh, test and the scan and things like that, uh, we saw that I had a. Uh, a fracture and then it was over so yeah i only realized this uh, after the finish you know so i went really deep in the pain that day uh i think the 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 deepest in my in my career because i was really in pain for the last 60 case and uh now i know why i had so much pain you know because uh, yeah of course in the moment itself, uh, I didn't know that. And if I would knew it, for sure, I would not go uh, any any further. But yeah, this this show also the character, you know. Um, I'm uh, I'm really hard in my head, and uh, when I have something in my head, uh, I never give up, you know. Yeah, I think that's what is one of the most important things, and we're talking about it more and more, aren't we? It's a great question that was, but more and yeah. more about the importance, obviously, of being fit, but. Even if you're the fittest, the strongest rider who can push the most power, if you don't have the mental strength, it's useless. You have to be mentally very, very strong. And and I think cycling is the hardest sport there is. You go through so many different emotions, but pain is something that becomes something quite normal, isn't it? But, there, but I think often when a rider crashes, um, it's incredible how strong you can be. Uh, you've got the adrenaline as well, yeah. the emotion. It is quite incredible how strong you can become to, to overcome pain, isn't it? Yeah, but that day was like still 60K, you know? So when yeah. we speak about adrenaline, this is normally like two, three, four minutes maximum, and then it it goes off, and then the pain is there, and then our emotions come back. So 60K, it took me because yeah. it was still a lot of climbs. So it took me a long time and uh, I really had time to suffer and uh, had to think you know, and, and cry yeah. on the bike. And yeah, I did everything that day. You know, I was like really deep in the pain. And um, the, the only good moment was like when I heard like I was 10Ks to go or something like that. I heard that Julian won the stage. 
And this gave me some joy again for a few seconds and then the pain came back and then, yeah, I, I received also the, the award on the, on the finish, the most combative rider. Okay. Of the day. And that day, I think th this trophy is in, in my kitchen in Belgium because uh, this one means a lot for me. You know, it's only a combative prize. It's not a trophy for a win, but this one means so much for me that uh, is good in place in my in my house. That, that, that says a lot. It's, a, I think, a, a symbol recognizing yeah. your, your fortitude, isn't it? It's symbolic of, of the type of rider that you are, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This, this one, yeah. If if I lost this one, I would be really sad. So uh, I, it's a, uh, it's a prize will have a really big importance in in for me. Okay. Well, from from the combativity on that year's tour to back to twenty twelve to the World Championships, I don't think we could do this podcast without talking about that. I think what we'd need. Feel to talk to do justice to your career is have a series of ten or fifteen podcasts, but we haven't we haven't got time for that. But can you talk to me about the day of the World Championships? You know, going into that race, yeah. um, obviously on the on the course, it was a course where already at that point, 2010, 2011, you'd already won two editions of Amstel. You were going to win two more editions afterwards, but you could argue the condition that you had, the course it was, it was a a course tailor made for Philippe Gilbert. So yeah. the pressure was even more so. People knew oh, yeah. that you were going to go. So to talk to him about the, the lead into that race, how you were, and then finally how you went away on, on, on the cowboy to take that magnificent win. Yeah, I think we have to go back to the beginning of the season. when I okay. So I, I signed for BMC. I, I was struggling. I was not good. Um, okay, I was third in the Flesh Wallon and some, some result, but not that good, you know, in, in the classics. And then... Struggling again in the tour, like sub top, sub some top five in the stages, but not not more. And then you know I was I was frustrated because you know I was playing really good by the team, uh, expecting they had a big expectation out of me, and then I could not give what I wanted. So I was training, doing all my the best, and then it didn't come. And then like you see at this point that. The work always pay off because I was after the tour still racing and training like like January, you know, same same mentality. Like even sure. if I was tired of the season, I was giving everything. And I went to the Vuelta, and there I won two stages. So then I was really happy that I showed that uh, I was back to my level, winning two stages. You know, like we said before, so in a good way, not only winning but like winning well you know yeah yeah so that was really important for me and then you know i focused really good uh for the ttt the world championship also i was part of the team and uh, i was one of the best guy the week after the vuelta we went straight away to training camp and i was one of the best and then the day of the race i gave really good uh, really good uh show and then we we finished second for only a few seconds to quick step yeah, three seconds, wasn't it? Just yeah. three seconds. Yeah, yeah. point two exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I was sad again because, you know, I, wa I wanted to win there and then again be part of the world championship title. And, yeah, being being second was, uh, was uh, again, frustrated. And then this gave me actually the extra motivation to even rest more, train more the, the week before the, the world title uh, on the road. And that day I was really going with 
with uh, yeah, the mentality to win. You know, I was quite confident of my chance and uh, we raced really good as a team because we had a Bonin and me. And yep. it was clear, the tactic was clear. So if it was a sprint, which I, I knew it was impossible, we will go for, for Tom. And if not, I will attack and, and go for myself. So, yeah. Yeah, when we and came into the last descent, I had a Leukemans next to me and I knew. I knew that what Leukemann was able to do on that, that kind of day, you know, so I just follow him and he bring me like perfect to a good situation and, and position. And then, yeah, Nibali just went too early, which, which was perfect. And then, yeah, he just launched me actually. Like uh, Nibali was the, was the best teammate of the day at the end. And wow, okay. It was like... When I saw that, I said, this is perfect because Nibali is one of the best riders to do that. So, you know, yeah. so when I look back, uh, I already had a gap on the, on the rest and then uh, I, I went clear and then, you know, it was like only like two Ks to go and I knew with the gap I had, they will not come back, you know. So it was tailwind uh, going over 60K an hour. Uh, I knew that no one was able to ride uh, 70. So, Yeah. It was a really nice, uh, nice win. So you, so I guess, although obviously you had great legs, there's the pain, but when you know you're in a position to win, the pain kind of disappears, doesn't it? And it's just, so you, you could, for those couple of minutes, it would have been just two minutes riding at 60k an hour for a couple of k's over the top, that gradual downhill, then it flattens. You could really savor the moment and that realization with all the Belgian flags. I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I bet that was something really sweet. Something. Did do you often go back over that at all? I guess in yeah. your retirement, you will. But uh, yeah. I bet it was just amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Every time I go back to Belgium, I, I go there because it's really close to my house. You know. So yeah. it's uh, also like a big chance um, to become a world champion ne next to your place. You know. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm really good friend with Toyshoft, you know, and he's been world champion in, in, in Australia. And I'm not sure that he will even go back one day there, you know? So, yeah. and I, me, I, I go like, uh, maybe 10 times a year, uh, back on the circuit. And, uh, I even will organize now my, my last ride ever, uh, on this, on this city, you know, Valkenburg. So this is, uh, this means so much for me. And it's so, so much important uh, that I could go back to the finish line and, and have these memories. When I go with my friends, you know, we still sprint and do like it was the, <laughs> the same day. And I'm sure when I will be 60, we will still do the same, you know, so. Of course you will. Of yeah. course you will. And yeah, and what, what, whatever, and also, yeah, yeah, whatever kit you wear, you know, where you finish your pro, you can, you always, whatever you have the stripes on your arm as well, you know? So just a little look down and remember, yeah. remember them, you know, it's, um, exactly. that's fantastic. It's fa absolutely fantastic. And as you say, people can share in that final ride cross the line. Cause the finishing line is the same, I believe, or near to where the actual finish line is as well, isn't it? So yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Now just turning to the monuments briefly before we wrap this up, um, You've won like Lombardy twice. You've won Liège, Bastogne, Liège, and then when you went back to to Patrick Lefebvre's team, you had a, an amazing couple of years, really uh, late in, in in your career, and you you won Flanders with that amazing solo break, and yeah. import not importantly, but um, you were also the Belgian road champion. So just describe a little bit about what that was like, because you touched upon it a little bit when you look at 
the big memories from your career because you stopped on the finish line, didn't you? Lifted your bike up because you had so much time. But that was astonishing because I, I, I was commentating on it and I thought, flipping it, you know, Philip Gilbert has gone really long here. But yeah. um, to, to, was that a, a calculate, was that a risk or did you think, um, I'm just going to try this? Just explain the rationale, the thinking behind going so long in such a, an epic race. Yeah, actually it was like uh, we started there with the, the best team ever, I think, and the strongest. And uh, of course we had Tom Bonen on the start. So the, the big, big star, I think like Van Aert is not even 10% of the popularity of Tom was uh, back then. Yeah. You know, so Tom was really the king of Belgium, you know, back then. And having Tom next to me was uh, something special, you know, knowing it was his last Flanders. It was a lot of expectation, a lot of uh, speculation in the media. Sure. And it was really big to leave this and we were rooming together. So we spoke a lot about it. And uh, yeah, actually, uh, it was the first time they put the mur of Gerhardsbergen back in the race on a yeah. 100Ks to go. So not it's not the final, but you're not far from the final, you know? Sure. So we say, okay, guys, with the team we have, we have to use this. It's a chance. We get the chance and we have to use it. Yeah. So it was clear. The tactic of the day was like, okay, we control a few teams we don't want in the break, and then we go full on the mur, and then we make the selection there. And this is what we did, you know, Tom and me, we looked to each other halfway the mur and then we say, okay, we go full. And yeah, Tom start first and then he went full to the top. And on top we went like with 12 guys, 13 guys. And we had a uh, 10 team, Bonen and me from Quickstep. So it was like three out of 12, like big, big uh, operation, you know. And uh, we knew that uh, Stiba, uh, Terpstra and all the, the, all the guys were blocked behind. So, yeah, we just went full. And the problem was because we were like uh, three really good riders and from the same team, the other ones didn't want to pull, you know. Of course, so, yeah. Um, then I said, uh, Luke Rowe was also part of the, of the group. And I said, mate, when we go back on the, on the Quarmonts, we have no choice. We have to make an, again a selection because if we just sit here with this situation, having only five guys turning out of 12, we will not go anywhere, you know, so we have to yeah. go harder. And we went, we went quite full on the, from the bottom and then, you know, like halfway of the, of the group dro- dropped straight away. And then, yeah, Trentin was going and then I said, ah, it's not fast enough. So I went even faster and then, yeah, actually, I went too fast and was alone. And yeah, I said, okay, I go my pace to the top and we see after. And uh, actually, they never came back, you know. So yeah, it was, uh, I was hesitating a long, long, long time because I knew it was like over 50K to the finish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I said, I, I go safe and we see. So I went like, on. I had control of my effort and then I said, I go like this, we see 10 Ks, 15 Ks. And if no one come back, then I go full. And, yeah. uh, I went full from the, from the Copenberg actually from the halfway to Copenberg, I went full to the finish, but still it was like, uh, I don't know, 25, 30 Ks to go. And, um, yeah, it was the only way to win, you know, because if I went full, full from the beginning, I will not be able to make it. Sure. Sure, I see. But that, I mean, that again, just must have been an absolutely beautiful moment for you. And and this was, you know, quite late in your career. So yeah. um, 
It yeah, and been... I remember the support of the fans, you know, because uh, you know I had the Belgium colors on on, on yeah. my shoulders, and yeah, you know, like like you said in the beginning uh, of the podcast, I'm I'm from Wallonia, but I'm I have. I think even more supporters in Flanders, you know, because, you know, I learned everything there. I speak their language, you know, so I have a lot of fans there in Flanders and they were really pushing me um, to go for the win. And it was like uh, really, really big emotions that day. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's crazy. I mean, and then moving on finally to your, your last monument win um, in Roubaix two years later um, in was that I know what would okay put it this way once you'd won Flanders and you and clearly everybody knew about your versatility but there's not many riders that that that, that win you know Flanders and also Liège and Lombardy this is you you're entering in as you well know a very very rarefied atmosphere we're looking at right just like riders like Merckx but were you thinking then okay Roubaix or, or at what point did Roubaix come into focus and when did you think you could win that um, I think I always knew that I had a chance because I was even early in my career was good with winning, you know, at Vork. Uh, I did also a podium in Flanders uh, sure. without really going 100%, you know, because uh, I was always preparing the Ardennes, but still on the way I was going to Flanders with uh, just a try, you know, but not 100%. And yeah. I knew, okay, if I go there, I was like 90%, I was still third or close to the win I said um, then the day I will go really focus on that the races I will I will win them you know so and Roubaix I didn't want to try because you know the risk of crash is really high yeah and yeah uh, when, you know you can crash in every races but when you crash on the cobbles you know you, you can have big damage you know so of course yeah I said I have so many other races to win before that one that I first want to give the chance to all the other races and then go only for Hubei. So this okay. was this was in my head from the beginning of my career. Wow, and, okay. And then I said, now it's time to go for Hubei because even if I go and I break my leg and it's over, yeah, I will have win all, all the others, you know. Yeah. So I went, but I went like really professional. I did, I did a lot of recon, a lot of testing of material, you know. I, I, I invest a lot in this race. Yeah. And, you know, when I came that day, the first try in 18 was, I was like uh, 15. I did the mistake of not drinking. It was a hot edition. And, you know, I finished 15 with a lot of mistakes. So I said, uh, okay. next year I'll go back, but it's for the win. So yeah. this, this make me stronger and gave, gave me confidence, you know. So then I went for... An, 19 the edition of 19 and there in my head i knew it's this is now or never you know so yeah we had also a really strong team and i knew that i had to use the team you know so yeah i used the team really good i played uh, the tactic perfect and yeah i was able to also beat polit because it's a a big client to beat uh, yeah, yeah, to beat in, oh, yeah. in the sprint so yeah i think i did a uh, Almost a perfect race that day, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess, winning Paris Bay, it it has to be perfect, doesn't it? Because everything has to go right. Because as you just described, it is the race where you need luck. You obviously need everything needs to line up. You need to have the best tactical game, the best yeah. equipment, luck that the punches. 
you yeah, you, you do need it's 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 rare, isn't it? And and it, but yeah. everything lined up, and then obviously you need to be so strong to even think about winning it as well, yeah. you know. I don't think yeah. that like when I see the riders having crash or flat tires, this means that they are not ready or they made mistake. You know, when you're really preparing good, you know, like Bonin, I don't think he had many flat tires in in Roubaix. Right. I also didn't have one. Uh, I think when you're good and ready, you don't have you don't crash, you don't have flat tires you, because you're you're ready. You see all the obstacles, you see all the danger and you just, just avoid them, you know? Yeah. It's like, I, I think it's like a, a rally driver, you know, he, he's, he also have a lot of danger, but he doesn't make mistakes when he's good, you know? Sure. So when you're ready, you go perfect and you don't make mistakes. Wonderful. It's, uh, I mean, and fi- I mean, ha- holding that cobblestone, I mean, again, you've had so many emotional parts of your career, but, you know, what were you, 30, 38? you know, well into the autumn of your career, um, 37, that must have been an immense moment. What was, just describe the feeling, you know, uh, the, the hug of Patrick and then getting onto the yeah. podium and then holding that cobble in the air. I mean, what, what was that like? Uh, finishing on the, <laughs> on the velodrome first, it's, uh, it's really special, you know, we, yeah. we only do this in, in one time in the year, you know, so it's we have no experience with that so it's already special you see everyone i knew my wife was there i knew my parents were there i knew a lot of my fans were there so this was also important for me you know i was i was not alone and uh yeah when you've stopped you know everyone comes on you and yeah it's just it's just like crazy really crazy final and then (laughs) this podium also you know you had uh with the flames, uh, then the trophies coming up. Uh, oh, it's so nice. And then it's like this heavy cobblestone. It's like quite a kilo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, especially yeah. after Roubaix, you're going to be tired. Lifting oh, it above your head is lift. quite... <laughs> yeah. <it's... laughs> then you think, oh, uh, I should uh, keep my helmet on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh mate. That's, nice. So, uh, okay, my final question is to where where is the cobble now? It's where, also in where? Belgium because uh, I still have a small house in Belgium and I have uh, almost all my trophies there because, you know, usually when you win a race, it's go back to the to the service course. Um, and for me, service course is already being in Belgium. And then I try to have someone to go pick it up or that uh, staff of the team bring it to my house and then... I collect them there. Fantastic. Well, uh, hopefully one day, Philippe, I'd, I'd love to come and uh, go for a ride with you at some point, look at some of your trophies. But you've been so so generous with your with your time today. Um, I wish we could go on for another for another several hours because yeah. you, you speak. <laughs> no, you speak so eloquently about. There's so much detail and and um, when you talk about the. the the races, I'm I'm almost there with you, and I'm yeah. sure that everybody that listened to this podcast. Um, this is the patient. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 um, again, just thanks again. It's been, it's been a wonderful experience. Um, and I do urge people if they can, um, to, to head over to your ride and, and share in, in your final ride as a professional, because I think it's going to be a wonderful day. And, uh, Great. thanks again. Thank you very much again, Phil. Thank you very much. What a champion. It's not just the win, but the manner of the victory that counts. You heard it here, folks. I think that sums up Philippe's career wonderfully. What a top gen he is too. Thanks to Perry Apgwineth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, follow and rate the pod and maybe give it a little review if you feel like it. And 
why not recommend it to a pre-war scoundrel raiding the wine reserves of a Belgian city's underground caves, if you have a time machine. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, please do. Our email address is podcast at sigmasports.com or you can leave a message or a voice note on our WhatsApp burner phone, which is plus four four seven 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 eight three two three two six eight. And finally, a massive thanks again to Philippe for joining us on the podcast today and we wish him all the best in his well-earned retirement. Cheers all, stay safe and adieu. Thank you.